Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode six of the Ball Five podcast, the podcast that's looking for other hobbies to get into because clearly baseball is not uh, being too kind to us. My name is DJ Lopes, um, joined here by my co-host Chris Lopes. Chris, I feel like I don't have to ask you how you're doing. I feel like I can, I know, but I'll do it anyway. How you doing? I'm coping. <laughs> <laughs> heartbreak is such sweet sorrow it feels like the only thing you can do at this point um obviously we're talking about something that we'll get to a little later on in the show where we're gonna hit on some smaller deals first but we are obviously talking about jacob Degrom, our beloved former beloved i guess oh still beloved i i could say jacob Degrom leaving the mets for the texas rangers in free agency the first big deal of free agency but before we get to that we had a couple smaller ones that I wanted to just briefly touch on. Um, the first one I wanted to touch on very briefly is Zach Eflin, who's been, you know, a pretty solid starter, decent middle-of-the-pack starter for the uh, Philadelphia Phillies for a couple of years. I always felt like he was kind of in the Nick Pavetta. Like, I felt like him and Nick Pavetta were pretty similar while they were teammates, and then uh, Nick Pavetta got traded to the Red Sox, has been decent. And Eflin's still been in that place oddly... Like was oddly like the closer for the Phillies at points this uh this year, which I felt was weird. But the reason I'm bringing him up was because I want to say yeah, it was a three year, forty million dollar deal with the Tampa Bay Rays, which makes him the highest paid free agent contract in Rays history. Which is just funny to say out loud. Uh, we've had a couple of these where it's like the highest paid person in blank, and you see the contract and it's like wow. Um. Like one of them, we'll, we might get to it a little bit later when talking about Brian Reynolds, but Cabrian Hayes was like the highest paid player, the highest paid contract in, in Pirates history, and it was like five years, $77 million deal. Um, and then the Wander Franco one earlier, it was a pretty decently sized deal, but it was still the biggest deal that the Rays had ever given out. Uh, but this one is the biggest one to a free agent. Uh, Zach Eflin, three years, $40 million. Heading into his prime age 28, 29 year. I don't know. This I is think... just it, it. It reeks of um, when you get afraid when Tampa Bay does something, you know. Like yeah, it's like... this is like when they signed Corey Kluber last year, and I was like, "Oh, he's gonna have like a top seven Cy Young finish now." Yeah, like Eflin's fine. Like he's nothing crazy. He's he's a good player. He's a good pitcher. He's a guy that gets out there, could play like you said, can do multiple roles and stuff like that. But like. He's not a, he, I don't know, he's middle-of-the-arm guy. He's exactly what you need him to be. But it's just like one of those things where the Tampa Bay Rays just have this thing where they can get someone and then make them into superstars. So, or, sorry, that's that's pushing it. Eflin's not going to be a superstar. <laughs> but um, Him and McClanahan like, are going to be the modern-day Schilling and, and Randy Johnson. <laughs> it's like when they don't see something in someone, your Chris Archers and stuff like that, you know, they... They kick him to the curb and and they just seem to grab these random freaking guys. But what do you think Eflin's market was? Well, I think it was. I don't think it was like terrible because I mean, you did mention the thing about his age being twenty eight. He is, you know, by all the uh, extents, like the young. He was the youngest pitcher on the market, I believe. So I mean, mm. there had to be something there for for people to to want him, obviously. But I mean, he's from he, Orlando. Yeah, he obviously wasn't going to get much more than this. I think the Red Sox offered him the same exact deal, 
um, which was the second player already this offseason that they had a, a leak go out that the Red Sox were like, yeah, we were in on this guy. <laughs> it's like it, the Boston connection. I, I was thinking about it. It's like when Danny Ainge was the, the GM of the Boston Celtics and every single star that became available when they got traded to someplace that wasn't the Celtics, uh, there was just the, the almost Ainge meme. So they're getting, uh, Kim Bloom is getting almost aged right now on multiple fronts. But, um, so I mean, yeah, that's already way too long on Zach Eiffelin. So, uh, another deal that I wanted to get to just briefly before we got into all the other big stuff was, um, a trade that happened, I believe yesterday, obviously completely got dwarfed by, by the stuff that happened later in the day, but this was Jesse Winker and Abraham Toro. I believe it was a straight up two for one. Jesse Winker and Abraham Tora going over to the Milwaukee Brewers in exchange for Colton Wong. Now, this one I think is interesting. Abraham Toro is, I think, at the end of the day, just a throw-in. He's got decent versatility, a solid hitter, uh, you know, just a, a decent plug-and-play guy. But the the big part of this is, I believe, the Jesse Winker and Colton Wong swap. And I know that, I believe that Jesse Winker was playing hurt all year, so I think that that really goes into his performance, but... It really wasn't that good. I mean, you know, he hit 219, um, only had an OPS of 688, 14 home runs. And when you're not playing a good corner outfield, which he does not, he's not a very good outfielder out there in the corners. You know, it's it's hard to excuse having in their lineup. You knew that Seattle was going to start making a little bit more deals around that outfield with how it was set, especially after the Teoscar Hernandez trade. Um, so, you know, they already dealt away Kyle Lewis, but now they're dealing away... Um, Jesse Winker after just one year and the return they got back Colton Wong you know he's always been a decent-ish hitter you know he's gonna hit around league average for you not have crazy pop maybe 10 homers a year uh but he's also gonna play he he struggled I think defensively in the metrics wise last year um well this year technically but in general just a very solid fielder out in second base so I think that they didn't Love what they saw out of Adam Frazier after making the trade last year. So this is kind of their chance to, you know, get back at it while also kind of thinning out their their outfield depth a little bit more, which they kind of needed to. Yeah, it, at first glance, this feels like one of those, like, what the hell is going on trades? But also it's kind of just like an eh, whatever trade, you know, like, I don't think you I think the prospect of of Jesse Winker um is probably better than the prospect of Colton Wong. Um but I think in the end you're going to get very similar seasons from either of them, you know. Uh obviously Winker probably has a little bit more power than Colton Wong, but Colton Wong's a decent, you know, 10 to 15 homer guy in the in at second base and and as we said earlier, um as we said in a previous spot and everything, um they did have to do something uh, with one of their outfielders after Teoscar Hernandez. So um, there's that. I think the big thing to be said from this one is what exactly is Milwaukee doing? You know, like think, where does this play in Milwaukee's hand? Yeah, I think that they're they're making an upside play here. I think they're betting on the upside of uh, Jesse Winker returning back to his form in Cincinnati. You know, obviously they faced him a lot being in when he was with the Reds. So I think that they're making that play that he can be just another guy that, like, Hunter Renfro was for them last year. Uh, you know, Hunter Renfro was a bit more of a known heading into that year. There's, he's going to give you around 30 homers a year, every year. But I think that it was kind of their play to essentially just 
try to make another play like they did last year with the trade for Hunter Renfro um, by doing just another one of these plays on a, on a buy low candidate. And, you know, I think it could work. I think that Jesse Winker was playing hurt last year. So I think that it's depending on how extreme you think that was heading into the year. Um, I I kind of like it for Milwaukee, honestly, you know. They do need a little bit of power in that lineup. That lineup has been pretty eh in the past couple of years. So I think that it's a decent upside play. You know, I don't think that Colton Wong was going to give you too much more than you were wanting out of that. So I don't know. I kind of like it. But at the end of the day, it's just kind of a on the margins move. I don't think it's going to turn any people into a contender. Yeah. Well, I guess what I'm well, I guess what I'm trying to get at is you do this trade why do you do the Hunter Renfro trade? You know? I think they just didn't want to pay him. It's another, yes. it's trading, an, well, it's trading an expiring deal for another expiring deal uh, because Jesse Winker will be a free agent at the end of this year. Um, but yeah, I think they just kind of didn't want him on the books and they wanted to get some sort of arms out of him. So, you yeah. know, I don't know. I think that, um, especially with their moves in, in recent note, trading Josh Hader, uh, they're they're just really looking more for payroll flexibility, which kind of sucks in some regards. Getting as close as they did in you know 2018 and 2019, but you know I think I think it's just a way of how they're going. I wonder if this leads to what could happen with something with Corbin Burns or Brandon Woodruff, because those are two guys that they've been looking to maybe deal for the right price, obviously. But those yeah. are two guys that are going to be in need of big money that I don't know if they're willing to pay. But um, yeah. And I did the last thing on it. I guess, I guess it's just one of those things where it seems like they're not trying to win anything, you know, um, they're just trying to stay in the middle of the pack. And it's just like an interesting perspective, I guess. The middle of the pack in the NL Central is such a gross thing to look well, at. I still don't think they're trying to win it with what <laughs> that's they're doing, such so. that's such like terrible aspirations to have. We want to win 84 games. I, I, they might get lucky and do that. I don't know. I don't, although I will say, eighty-four wins in the NL Central might actually win you it. But um, yeah. I guess we have to rip off the Band-Aid now. We have to talk about it. Uh, we can talk about Brian Reynolds for a second. No, this is this is the main thing that happened uh, on Friday. I guess we'll we'll break down where we were. I was sitting playing video games when I checked my phone. And I got an ESPN notification and a DM from from a good friend of ours, uh, noting that one Jacob Degrom has signed a five-year, one hundred eighty-five million dollar contract with the Texas Rangers, including, I believe, there's an opt-out for a sixth year, or like an option for a sixth year. I forget exactly what that was, but big-time money, and that is the first major domino to fall, the first of the top ten guys to fall in free agency, and. It was something you could kind of see coming. You know, it felt like he wasn't being as committal to the idea of staying with New York um, as he had been in in other years. And it seemed like um, if there was going to be one team that was going to bid alongside the Mets or was going to be willing to bid alongside the Mets, it was going to be the Rangers. And they turned out to to show up to the, you know, show up to the negotiating table with a lot. I think that the big thing, I'm not necessarily sure that money was the big deal uh, between the deals between the Mets and the uh, Rangers. I think that both of them were going to give a particularly high AAV. I think it was the years. I don't think that 
Uh, New York was maybe going to give four years if it came down to it. I don't know if they were going to go to five years. I think that they were just going to stick to trying to give him the Scherzer deal and see if that was what he wanted. But at the end of the day, uh, I think that Texas giving him that fifth year, and at the end of the day, maybe him just wanting to live in the South a little bit more than he lives in New York. He's a Florida guy, so maybe just wanting to live in that Southern weather all year um, rather than living in New York swayed him. But, you know, he will be the ace of another team come April, which is very sad to think about. On any person who desires such queer prizes, New York will bestow the gift of loneliness and the gift of privacy. It is the large, this largest that accounts for the presence within the city's walls of a considerable section of the population. For the residents of Manhattan are to a large extent strangers who have pulled up stakes somewhere and come to town seeking sanctuary or fulfillment or some greater or lesser grail. We can't be this down bad. The capacity to make such dubious gifts is a mystery quality in New York. It can destroy an individual or it can fulfill him, depending a good deal on luck. No one should come to New York to live unless he is willing to be lucky. E.B. White, here is New York. That was a tweet randomly tweeted out by Keith Hernandez. (laughs) Did you see that? Wait, what? (laughs) <laughs> i didn't see this didn't see all right sorry i totally thought that my rendition of that would have would have landed um yeah no one knows why keith tweeted that he just tweeted it and no one knows if it's like because of aaron judge or or jacob de but this is like keith's uh thing but um, oddly poetic for keith i'll say yeah it's definitely i loved i loved that the first line said something about queer I know it's not the in between in between reading books about the scamdemic and RFK, he he found a way to to sneak in a little E.B. White. I I, yeah. I appreciate that out of him. <laughs> yeah, no, it was just it, that was a very funny that was a very funny random thing that I saw the other day. Um, it was like a picture of a book too. Like it wasn't even like tweeted <laughs> out. It was like a picture of a book. Um, but anyways, yeah, I don't know. Yesterday, um. I was at dinner with some friends and um, very funny. So I didn't tell you this yet, DJ. I wanted to save it for the pod here. So I, I saved it for the pod. Um, we were talking about another deal that we didn't get to the um, Chris Martin deal from the Red Sox. And um, and one of my friends, both of my friends are Red Sox fans. And one of my friends was like, oh, well, that's kind of like dumb. Like, why would the Red Sox go for this guy? And then another one of my friends was like, oh, well, you know, like, I'm, I'm not trying to be mad about something that hasn't happened yet. Like, you know, so I think like they were kind of going in the Xander Bogarts direction. Like, are the Red Sox going to, you know, not sign any of their guys? Are they going to just kind of get this middling of the pack? And then he said a very poignant thing and was like, you know, I just don't want to get pissed off about things that haven't happened yet. And my response to that was, you know, I totally agree. I'm not worried about Jacob deGrom and I shouldn't be pissed off about Jacob deGrom potentially leaving just because um, there are some grumblings of it. You know, like I I can't be pissed off about that until it actually happens. And then about 20 minutes later, I get a text message from you saying it's Jover um, with a good picture of Joe Biden there. And then I, yeah, that'll probably be the, that'll probably be the lead pick on a, 
on social media. I, I'm I think I'm just gonna title this one It's Jover. Um yeah. because that's that's just what it feels like, but yeah. I'm I'm sorry that I had to be the one to break it to you. I figured that I would have been because I knew you guys were heading out, but Yeah, well I and then I got on Twitter right after that and then I saw all these things. And I'm gonna be blunt, I'm gonna be honest. I started tearing up in the middle of a restaurant with my friends and my wife and my uh friend's new girlfriend whom I was meeting for the first time started tearing up because Jacob deGrom is no longer in New York Metropolitan. Um good first impression. But, I mean at least she knows you're you're a very honest person. You're yeah, you're willing very, to to be vulnerable. Yeah, I guess you can say that. It, it was very funny because the whole time I kept thinking like I'm fine. Like this it is what it is, you know, like but the whole time like I was actually having a response, <laughs> like an emotional response. <laughs> but it's true like it's like I, I I go back to it all and and you know it's like it's it is I saw a tweet that it's like it's about the level of cope right now of Mets fans which is interesting because a lot of a lot of Mets fans are trying to discount everything that Jacob deGrom said and and go into oh well he was always hurt blah 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 you know um the the fact of the matter is Jacob deGrom was the best pitcher um and very 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 I think there's an argument to say the best pitcher in the history of baseball at the top of his game. You know, um, I don't think that like longevity wise, he's the best pitcher in, ever, you know, but I think we, if you look at, I think we've said it before, if you look at three year averages and, and rolling primes and stuff like that, Jacob deGrom's prime is, is one of, if not the best prime, you know, uh, of, of pitchers. And, Yes, I know the Kershaws and everything kind of had these similar similar runs, but it was just such an insane thing to see, you know, live. And I've randomly seen Jacob DeGrom pitch like five times or so, you know, and to know that we saw him in a playoff game is really cool. So we saw his last game. We saw his we last saw his very last we witnessed his very last start as a Met. So I don't know, like there, there was a lot of things going on with it where I was just like, it was a lot of cope for me in the sense that like, I also understood the Mets unwillingness to go that extra year. And then also understood Jacob deGrom's willing, unwillingness to even go back to the Mets about something, you know, so there's a few things now. Granted, it's all on Twitter, so who knows the legitimacy of it, but they have all of the grumblings that um, Jacob deGrom accepted the offer and didn't even bring it back to the Mets, you know? So it really just hinges on the fact, like you were saying earlier, that he just didn't want to be in New York, and I think that he was looking to become the ace somewhere else, um, and it was more about being the... It was more about pitching somewhere that he wanted to be rather than uh, pitching somewhere where he has a chance to win a World Series. And not to say the Rangers don't have a chance eventually to win a World Series. You know, they have a decent enough team. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I was going to make the joke out of, like, Cope that he was uh, signing in the South to because Greg Abbott got, re- uh, got re-elected. Um, but then, I mean... You mentioned all the stuff about talking about how he was hurt and stuff like that. It's so weird because, you know, I feel like as Mets fans, we're used to the constant lull Mets of everything, of, you know, constantly taking every single small, even small bad things that happen to the Mets 
and think and treating it as this like indicative of a larger thing. But this is like the first time I've ever seen national media like carry water for the Mets. Like I think like John Heyman and and John Morosi were like putting out essentially hit pieces against the Mets. I mean against Jacob Degrom. Uh, they don't seem yeah. to like the guy, and, and maybe this is just you know going off on journalists who, uh, you know don't get all the information that they want or don't get all the access that they want out of a player, so they hold it against them. It could be something like that. But you know, I they they even leaked something about him being outspoken against some of the some of the policies that the Mets in New York had uh, against the pandemic, which, you know, obviously this is all allegedly stuff. This is all stuff that's going through through sources and back channels. So, you know, I'm not going to say believe it or, or not, but, you know, it was it was all stuff that leaked after right after I was going to make the joke that he that he only signed because Greg Abbott won in Texas. But, you know, back to what you were saying about the, the dominance, it, it truly is one of the greatest stretches we've seen out of a pitcher it's it's like what Kershaw did from 20 like 13 to 2018 uh you know from 2018 to 2022 which is from his first Cy Young to obviously just this year 102 games started 645 in the thirds innings he struck out 876 batters with a 193 ERA plus a ERA of, you know, 2.05, striking out 12.2 batters every nine. That's just not something that's normal. That's not something that you get. That's something that if he stayed in New York for just even just a little bit longer, he had a chance to to really go up against Tom Seaver as the greatest Met to, to, you know, ever pitch. But, you know, I guess you look at it and even in these last three years, uh, you know, obviously not taking into account 2020 because it was a shortened season, but only 92 innings in 2021, only 64 and a thirds innings in 2022. It's tough. It's tough to go into your year 35 season and for, you know, to really want to give out that, that long-term deal with all of that money tied into one guy. And it's Steve Cohen, so he could have easily done it, but you know, it's one of those things where I can see why the Mets didn't go for it. And I can see why, like you said, I can see why the Mets didn't go for it. I can see why Jacob DeGrom did go for it because, I mean, hell, they're, if they're going to pay you $185 million to live in, to, you know, live kind of where you want to for five years, you'd be a fool to say no to that, especially when the alternative is a team that only was going to offer you three years. And I think that's why they didn't take the offer back to him because he kind of got the idea and knew that they were only willing to go three, maybe four years with a high AAV because... This Mets team has preached, you know, having short-term flexibility, and I think that's also because they do have targets that they're trying to sign in the future, both in trying to stay competitive every single free agency, and also because they're going to have to eventually, you know, sign extensions for guys like Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil and, you know, some of their other younger guys. So I think that it's it's definitely just one of those things that, well... You can kind of see where both of the team, where both of these sides reach their conclusions, but it's just, you know, incredibly sad to think you you didn't really think at any point that it would ever actually get to the point that Jacob Degrom would leave, uh, you know, as many rumors were swirling around. Yeah, and and you know, like I I completely agree. I think that a lot, of, especially because a lot of the rumors were going towards the Mets. A lot of them were saying that. Um, no other team was willing to put up the money that the Mets were going to put up. 
Um, which, which, if the Mets were the Yankees, we already would know what offer they were trying to give. Yeah, <laughs> um, but <laughs> they would um, leaked immediately. I, I think the the level of cope that I've been seeing, which is that big one, and it's kind of around that um, the the level of uh, of injury and stuff like that, is like in 2022. You know, we won 101 games, and um, he was on the docket for five of them. You know, um, so it's not like we 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 definitely you know you know he was definitely a huge piece of the club and always has been you know but it was just it's one of those things where i don't think we're still we're still like a very competitive team you know um i i don't know if we want to kind of go into the next level of where do where do the mets look to you know i think the names do kind of scare me a little bit um uh going after Verlander is very scary to me um especially if he's going to be riding you know a Cy Young win um off of and trying to get that Max Scherzer money that he was talking about um I like I'm okay with the idea of Rudan uh Carlos Rudan I think if anything because I've always wanted maybe it's because I'm a lefty but I've always wanted that you know lefty arm to like really add some flexibility to our our uh, lineup um which i don't really know our our um starting rotation which i don't really know if that means much you know but um but i i would like that ability to do that um but i'm not sure you know where the mets go in terms of that ace level person which it seems to be verlander and um rodan and then what do you do in the back end? Do you re-sign Bassett? Do you re-sign Walker? Do you go after a Haney? Do you go after guys like that? So, I don't know. Yeah, I think that... Uh, and the reasons why they're looking at Verlander are the same exact reasons why Jacob deGrom uh, is going to leave, because they want that short-term flexibility, like we mentioned. He's probably going to sign a two-year deal worth like $70, $75 million dollars. Uh, over the course of the whole deal, which, once again, and I'm I'm way more in on Rodon um, than I am Verlander. It's just, like you said, it's a tough bet to that a 40-year-old heading into his age of 40 and 41 season is going to be just as effective as he was in his age 39 season coming off of a TJ surgery. So, I feel much more confident. I'd feel much more confident in signing Carlos Rodon, even with his health issues, which he's had in the past, but even still. He's thrown, you know, around 170 innings in each of the last two seasons and at a very high, you know, at a very quality clip. He's been very good. Um, I think that another thing they're looking for, I think that they're looking for any combination of Rodon or Verlander with Kodai Senga. They're also looking at, I would I would have to believe, which is one of those things where it's a very high upside play. But you also, it's a bit more of an unknown with a, with a player that's never played in, in MLB. Which you know obviously shouldn't be held against him. He's been very great in um, uh, is it the NPB? I think it's the NPB. Um, he's been very great in Japan, uh, and I think that he has the talent. He has that fastball. He has you know a very good pitch mix. So I think that they could be big buyers on Kodai Senga, and then after that, it's just I do think that they might look into a guy like Andrew Heaney. I do think that they are obviously keeping in contact with guys like Taiwan Walker and Chris Bassett. What I would go for personally, I would go for, you know, at least two 
maybe three of Rodon, Senga, Walker, Bassett. Uh, you know, re-sign some of those guys that you already had that you know are good, and then take a risk on some of those bigger end guys. At the end of the day, you still have Max Scherzer, which is part of yeah. the perk of what they did last offseason is that you lost an ace, but you still have an ace already. And, you know, his arm issues aside, you know, you at least you have a baseline of a very good top-of-the-line starter. And you can just build on that. But I think that, yeah, it's one of those things where I think that they'll be fine, but it just won't feel the same without them. You know, it it definitely will feel different. Yeah, no, it'll definitely feel different. And, you know, I, I do agree with the Max Scherzer thing. I mean, we, we said it when they signed him that it feels like it's almost like a, hey, if DeGrom doesn't come back, you know, at least we have Scherzer. Um, but I almost never wanted it to get to that level. But I don't yeah, know. Hey, I liked it Noah better Syndergaard's... when it just existed as a hypothetical. Yeah. Noah Syndergaard's available. <laughs> Do you think Nathan he would even want to come back? Kind of itchy... No. Nathan Eovaldi is kind of interesting, too. I don't know, but he has a qualifying offer on him, so I don't know. That's That doesn't seem worth it. Yeah, I think that there's actually been a, a decent amount of talk, and, and some people have liked him. I, I like Nathan Eovaldi, too. You know, we're both in very close proximity to Red Sox fans, so we hear a lot about him. And, you know, I I always go back to that game. I believe it was game three or game four in the 2018 World Series where he pitched six innings out of relief for them. It was just ridiculous. Um, And from that moment on, I knew that, like, this is a guy that I really like just because I that's, you know, that's that's what you want out of a pitcher. You want a guy that is able to be a starter coming out of the bullpen and give you the length like that that you needed that really helped them in the future because they didn't have to go, you know, two or three pitchers down their down their pitching staff in the future, and then they could just, even after taking a loss in an 18-inning game, they could just go ahead and win the next two and easily win out the World Series. So I like a guy like that, but I think that does it on our DeGrom talk. I think that we'll have a lot more... I think that this will really start opening the floodgates. I, I think on the MLB Athletic podcast, this is the only baseball podcast that I've heard, and I just heard a clip of it. I think that Ken Rosenthal said that there's no other way to put it. This will put it. This will bring a spending orgy upon the MLB winter meetings, which I can think of a couple other ways to put it. Yeah, <laughs> than yeah. say that. But that's uh, a bold way to throw throw it out on that, especially for a guy like Ken Rosenthal. Yeah. Whose like whole thing is being like very prim and proper, and he's always wearing all these different bow ties and stuff like that. Uh, he's a closet freak. I don't know. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll do probably more of that next week because the at that point the winter meetings will be fully in swing. Um, heading over to our next biggest piece of news, it's that Brian Reynolds has requested a trade. A rare. I've been thinking about this for a little bit. You don't really see players request trades in MLB. Like, it's a very popular thing in in basketball. I know that you can request a trade if you want out and you're not really liking your situation. But in baseball, I feel like I never see that. Um, And I think it's because that the owners are more than willing to trade people, whereas in in basketball and football, they may not be. The owners are so willing to cut costs and not have to pay people that they are more willing to trade people than than the players are willing to be traded. Um, Yeah. He, but I the, think that it, it feels like they're doing a uh, a no, you're not you're not fired. I quit type thing. 
No, I'm not fired. I well, quit. I think that this is ste- this is stemming from an impasse that they had during uh, negotiations for a contract extension. Um, they offered him a chance to be the highest paid pirate in history, which we just mentioned. The $70 million extension that Cabrian Hayes got is the largest one. So knowing Pirates terms, that means they probably were going to offer him a five-year $71 million deal. Um, and then Brian Reynolds was like, no, I am an all-star. I was a top five rookie of the year finisher. I'm your best player. No. Uh, so now he's asking out. Now, I don't know if the Pirates will do this. They've been listening in on calls, but... They just recently announced a statement that this is not going to change any of their decision making. And at the end of the day with them, it probably, you know, really shouldn't. They still have him for, for two or three more years of control. So, you know, I don't think that this will actually lead to a trade. But this is the the first big step to one of the biggest trade ships of the last year or so um, to, to actually being dealt. So I, I wonder if it actually leads to anything. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I... I do think it's funny, and maybe this is just like me, you know, showing my uh, showing my colors, being a Mets fan, and especially recent history Mets. Um, I thought that was a hilarious thing when when the Pirates said that they were willing to make him the top pirate ever, um, the top money, the top paid pirate ever, and then they said, "Oh yeah, it's seventy million dollars." I'm like, Jesus Christ, like that's not it's not crazy. Um, well, all right, sorry. In layman, in, in, uh, us money, yes, that's freaking insane. Um, but, but yeah, it was just one of those things where I did think it was funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be intriguing. I think he's a really, uh, interesting piece that can kind of go, um, go to, go to another team and really, really put out there you know he's a 20 homer uh like 270 uh 300 batting average type guy um and he can give you you know single digit steals but that's no joke you know single digit steals is worth it um and just just kind of hit in the he's kind of that jeff mcneil i i feel you know um where he's gonna give i'd argue he's way better than jeff mcneil but yes well, yeah, but I think he's going to give you that type of hitting. You know me; I'm I, I'm I'm a big Jeff McNeil person. So, um, so like I, I think he's going to give you like that style season. He he is Jeff McNeil with way more power. Um, but it it's it is uh it's an interesting you know perspective to kind of see um what his command is. You know, he's going he's entering age twenty eight season. Uh, almost hit thirty home runs last year at twenty seven. Um, so I don't know. It'll be, it'll be intriguing to see, to see where his command is and, and, um, and who tries to go after him, you know, the outfield, like we talked about before, the outfield market right now is pretty thin outside of judge. So. Yeah. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, the, the people that are going to be big in on him, obviously the Yankees and Mets, if they lose out on judge or Nemo. Um, you know, I think that the Red Sox have every right to be super in on him as well. Uh, you know, just all of these teams with, with super big prospect capital and a hole in the outfield. That's obviously very obvious that teams that can trade and have a need for him should trade for him. Good analysis, DJ. But regardless, um, you know, I think that, and not to mention, I know that 
lineup flexibility isn't like a huge thing anymore with the lack of reliance on on getting platoon splits. But he is a switch hitter, uh, and at the end of the day, that level of lineup flexibility is always good. Um, you know, I'm just trying to think like maybe you know Cleveland. I think Cleveland has a pretty deep farm system. At the end of the day, he's going to run into the same issue of having to get paid, but they can maybe cross that bridge when they get to it. But I think that Cleveland should be Cleveland should be in on this. The highest uh, paid Cleveland Guardian is it? Is it uh, Ramirez? Or? It's probably Jose Ramirez, but I don't know. They might be. That'd be hilarious if they if they traded Furman and then made him the highest paid player, who's also not on the caliber. He's a very great player, but not on the caliber of Jose Ramirez. Um, but yeah, I think that all of these kind of fringe playoff teams uh, should be looking in on them. I, I would be, and obviously this is, I would say this is just if Brandon Nimmo leaves and goes elsewhere, I would be very interested in trading for him because, like I like I mentioned, it's just, you know, a super dynamic talent. And I do think that the prospect capital would have to be pretty decent to get him. I mean, he's a, he's a three to four war outfielder, but he's also... As we mentioned earlier, a guy with two to three years of control. So that's going to take a decent amount of prospects, which is why you're only going to be seeing these guys with top of the line prospects going after them. But yeah, I think that that's going to be a pretty interesting situation to monitor heading into these winter meetings. Um, With obviously a weaker free agent class, the trade market's going to have to heat up eventually if some of these teams want to get better. Um, Yeah. But I do think that that leads us now to our last bit of big news that we were going to cover that's happened uh, earlier than both of these. I think that both of these headlines dropped yesterday. Um, actually, no, I think that the, the Reynolds news dropped today. Uh, DeGrom news dropped on Friday. But this one was, I think, a week ago, and this was Jose Abreu signing with the Astros. It was a two-year, um, I want to say $17 million, a three-year, $58 million deal. Way off. Um, but I think that, that was it was around $17 million a year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is just the rich getting richer, which I guess technically they're getting poorer because they're spending more money, but they're getting richer in the sense that they added just a tremendous bat year in, year out. I mean, you you look at his, his page and it's just every year he's going to hit around 300. He's going to give you decent power. He had a bit of a step back in the power this year, only hitting 15 home runs. But even still, he followed that up by just, you know, instead hitting 304 with a 133 OPS plus, you know, 824 OPS. He's just, at the end of the day, a tremendous hitter. Yeah. Um, and and ju- just to kind of harken back for two seconds, uh, Jose um, Ramirez has a seven-year, $141 million contract. So uh, they'd have to give Brian Reynolds some money. Um, but uh, no, uh, you, you said it right. The rich get richer with, with um, Jose Abreu. It's, it's very interesting because, you know, they, they stated initially that they had a hole in first base, and that's why they went, you know, um, to make the moves uh, that they did. Um, and then they're like, oh, yeah, you know, like Anthony Rizzo is our number one target and all that stuff. And then they get Jose Abreu, you know, like uh, like there's that's not that's not just a, a, a throw in guy like he's going to be a middle of the order guy. He is a little older. He's 36. But. I think this is one of those where he's going to put you in another level. And then, you know, you're you're talking your order is going to have uh, Bregman, Abreu, Alvarez. Like, that's pretty nice. 
um i'd I'd be very happy about seeing that you know um it'll be interesting to see i think i think uh the young arms as we've seen in the playoffs and everything for uh houston is awesome um but it'll be interesting to see what they do uh if there's a departure with furlander um it'll be interesting to see uh where if they tackle anyone in that starting pitcher market um but i think jose bray is a great start um and i think he's he's not like where he was where he was fighting for the best first baseman in the league um he's definitely kind of further down that list but he's still probably a top you know maybe even top five first baseman in the league um maybe that's not stretching it uh at least top 10 first baseman in the league and i think that's all you can ask you know i think he's gonna fit in well over there so yeah, I, I one thing I will say is, is you mentioned his age. Uh, he's going to be heading into his age 36 season. It always, you know, surprises me, I guess, because I, I forget how late he came over into his career. And he is just a, a contender for why I wish that the MLB Hall of Fame would work a little bit more like the Basketball Hall of Fame, where it's more of like lifetime achievement, what you did in college and, and overseas and stuff like that counted, because he would be, you know, shoo-in Hall of Famer. If that was the case, because not only has he had this very great major league career, he had a streak of five years in a row in the Cuban League where he posted an OPS over a thousand. And in three of those years, a 1376 OPS, a 1583 OPS and a 1379 OPS. I think the highest OPS in MLB history is like, I think, 1300 in like Barry Bonds' 2004. He did 200 points higher than that now granted their seasons are a little shorter but like he had i'm just noticing this now 33 homers in a 66 game season yeah uh, he's good <laughs> he's <laughs> that's good a, that's a no, homer I, every other game I, it was funny i do remember that that he got the he got the uh rookie of the year award in his age 27 season um but yeah, I've I've always been a big Jose Abreu guy. He's always been um, him and uh, Goldschmidt were like my uh, like oh watch out for this guy um, first baseman in fantasy fantasy baseball and and I feel like I got both of those pretty much right. Um, I'd say say that I did pretty good there. Um, but yeah, it, it's nuts. I think the big thing about Abreu is he loves to hit doubles too. Um, and that'll be great for, for Houston. So, you know, you're, you're, you're talking 30 homer power and 40 doubles a year. Like, give me that, you know, um, that's going to be work very well there. So, yeah. And it is funny. They are actually getting younger at the position because Yuli Gurriel is going into his, I think, age 38 or 39 season. Um, so they are technically getting, (laughs) they are technically getting younger. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, it's just gonna, it's just a, you know, abundance of spoils for this team. And they're almost assuredly going to let Verlander walk because as we mentioned a couple podcasts ago, they also have one of the greatest, I mean, they also have one of the best pitching staffs with depth in that rotation. You know, they, Luis Garcia, Jose Urquidy and Hunter Brown all pitched out of the bullpen last, uh, during the playoffs for them. And they are easily middle of the pack to even like number two level starters on any other roster. Hunter Brown might go ahead and win rookie of the year 
next year because of how talented he is. But um, yeah, I mean, this just keeps him in the conversation, keeps him at the top of that NL West, and I'm I can't wait to see it. I I do, you know, as much as they are hated and for good reason, I do sincerely enjoy watching them play just because of how good that lineup is, and that's just going to keep adding on to it. So I think that does it for the big uh, deals talk, the offseason talk here. So we are going to now go into our segment uh, that we started last week, well, two weeks ago, with remembering some guys. So Chris, do you want to get us started? Yeah, I am going to give us started with an outfielder who is a lefty lefty here. Uh, started, made his rookie debut August 7th, 2000. Played his last game in 2013 on my birthday, on my 20th birthday, on September 29th, 2013. Um, and that wonderful person is Juan Pierre. Um, I've always loved Juan Pierre. Uh, because a lot of the time, you know, so he, he was in Florida, uh, for a decent, actually not even that long, um, only a few years, but I feel like he was always, uh, kind of in the mix, um, and never like the best hitter on his team always played. He had a stretch from 2003 to 2007 where he played every game, He played 162 games each of those seasons. Um, and that's obviously unheard of nowadays, you know, um, but that's definitely something that's just insane and, uh, you know, had some speed, uh, and I say had, had some speed. speed, uh, very, <laughs> very, uh, very lately had 614 stolen bases in a 14 year career. Um, so that's insane and pretty good, um, pretty good kind of clip there too, because he got caught. Well, I guess never mind. That's a lot. You you gotta like you said volume there. Um, he got caught two hundred three times, but I still feel like that's pretty decent coming off of six off of six fifteen. And he was a career three hundred hitter, so uh, never made an all star. Um, you know, was just always kind of like a guy you wanted on your team. He always seemed like a good dude too. Was a good outfielder. Um played you know played years in colorado he played for all teams too that were like whatever <laughs> he played yeah colorado played in played in well marlins played chicago cubs played um the dodgers white Sox, philly and miami so he played a bunch of teams um and was just like there you know i don't know i've always i always loved him yeah was on that 03 marlins team that won the world series uh, kind of shocked the world and beat the Yankees. He's, you know, in every essence of the word, a throwback player. I don't think you're ever going to see a guy like this in baseball again that has a career high in home runs of three uh, and is still going to be like an everyday starter. You know, he's not, I once again, and it's also because they probably wouldn't let him steal that much with, with the amount of cost stealings. But um, yeah, I mean, just an exciting guy. My biggest connection with him is that whenever somebody uses Juan Pierre in MLB The Show, I know that they're going to be like an asshole that just bunts every single time with him. I've given up numerous four for four days to Juan Pierre, and all four of them are just off bunts. Um, actually, I do think I gave up a walk off Grand Slam to Juan Pierre once. Hell uh, yeah. <laughs> Juan Pierre represented. <laughs> 
Yeah, so uh, that's actually a great pick. I'm surprised he's a zero-time All-Star, which, I mean, I guess I get if you're just like a high-contact, high-steals kind of guy. But even in, in that in that prime of his, you know, in that 03 season where he stole 65 bags at 305 for a good team that ended up winning the World Series and, you know, even got some MVP love, a top 10 finisher in the MVP voting. Um, a little surprised that that didn't have a, uh, you know, an, an, you know, an all-star. But I'm going to go, you know, one kind of breaking my idea that I had of the one-time all-stars things just because... I guess that's way too, like, I guess, stringent of a thing with remembering some guys. Oftentimes, it is the guys that have, like, really short primes and just petered off afterwards are the peak remember some guys, which is what I'm going to go with. I saw this guy actually on the front page of Baseball Reference, and it, which I feel like is a great place to remember some guys because they just have a random assortment of 10 guys on the front page every, uh, every week. I mean, every day. So the, uh, the pick I'm going with is CJ Wilson. Pitcher for the Texas Rangers, also pitched a little bit for the LA Angels. You know, he was the ace, I would say, of those of those Texas Rangers teams that went to back-to-back World Series um, alongside guys like Derek Holland and Colby Lewis and, uh, hmm, I'm actually forgetting, blanking on some of the other guys on those teams, but uh, at least the pitching staffs, but it was spearheaded by C.J. Wilson, who was, you know, had a pretty solid prime. Like I said, two-time All-Star. Uh, you know, sub three ERA in 2011, just like a solid around mid threes, high twos ERA in his prime, and then was part of those. You know, I think that the same off season or the off season after, uh, Albert Pujols left for the Angels was also the off season that they signed him, and then I believe later on they signed Josh Hamilton. So he was kind of one of the peaks of like. Do you remember in, in the early 2010s when the Marlins were just moved to Miami and they like signed Jose Reyes and signed Heath Bell and, and made all those moves? He was kind of part of that, but for the Angels, where the Angels were doing their own thing like that. And then Mike Trout was just coming along. And I mean, you know, it was the start of mediocrity for the Angels. But, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of fun just to remember that. Uh, I think I always remember he had like really eccentric gloves, like he was always the guy that would have like a bright blue glove or a bright red glove on. Um, but yeah, CJ Wilson is my pick. Yeah. And, and so, so it's funny because you bring up, you know, he kind of uh, was part of those uh, bolstered rotations. And you have guys like more, more remember those guys, Colby Lewis, less so remember those guys. Cause he was just a stud. Cliff Lee was on those teams. Rich Harding oh, yeah. is another one. But I think the biggest thing to remember about uh, about C.J. Wilson, and I'm seeing it now, he had a 24-save season. He was a decent closer for a stretch there. Um, you know, so so hats off to hats off to uh, C.J. Wilson there. I do. I do remember this dude. A lot of my remember those guys are around fantasy baseball. Um, and I do remember I definitely remember C.J. Wilson. Um, but it's interesting to to see him kind of make that um, make that stretch from, you know, mid mid relief bullpen guy to pretty good closer to starting pitcher and then not flame out like he actually pitched pretty decently as a starting pitcher. So, yeah. And uh, you mentioned Cliff Lee. So I wanted to look him up because I wanted to do a little bit of uh, remembering some guys within remembering some guys. And he has some of the better, like, he played on that team uh, just because randomly, just like in the middle of the prime of his career, 
having some of the best seasons he had. He played for four teams in two years. <laughs> like he played, yeah. he was playing for Cleveland, got traded in his age 30 season over to Philadelphia, the Phillies. Um, and he was pretty good in that year. And then I think he signed in either Texas or Seattle. I think he signed in Seattle in free agency and then was traded at the halfway point of the season to Texas. And then I, I, I would assume I don't have all the details on it, but I think he was traded then back to Philly where he was part of that um, the those big-time rotations with Cole Hamels, Roy Halladay, him, and then Roy Oswalt. Um, so yeah, that that was also a great Remember Some Guys because it led down the path of another remembering guy. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think that at this point that just about does it for our sixth episode. Uh, Chris, do you have any parting thoughts? No, I just think, you know, like I said, it's, it's okay if you uh, find yourself... Um emotional about baseball it's okay you know uh just just letting you know letting you know that there are people like you out there um there are people like us out there uh baseball is an emotional sport um they say there's no crying in baseball but there is crying at dinner because jacob degrom leaves so <laughs> um so yeah my parting thought is that fandom is a fandom is a disease yeah it never Being a mets well. fan is a big disease being a Mets fan is a huge. I would say it's I would say it's one of my top character flaws. Is yeah. that I'm a Mets fan. Um, yeah. But hey, it, it provides me with great character growth. So um, well, once again, we could be Rangers fans. So, well, I mean, Rangers <laughs> fans just signed the best pitcher of a generation. So I guess there's uh, there's differences between the two of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I think that just about does it for episode six. We hope you guys enjoyed. I think in general we're going to go bi-weekly, but I haven't ran you by this. I assume we'll probably record next week because of the winter meetings happening this week. So I assume it's going to be pretty busy with transaction news. But otherwise, uh, we are going to probably try to look towards bi-weekly if we get into more dregs of the offseason around January-ish. Um, you know, like we said earlier, the, the MLB offseason is a little slower than all the other ones. So uh, definitely looking for if you guys have any, have any ideas on fun ways to to blow an off-season podcast on something that's baseball adjacent. We're all ears. Let us know. Um, but yeah, I think that just about does it. Once again, we hope you enjoy, and we hope to hear from you guys soon. And uh, you guys will maybe hear from us next week. So see you then. Oh yeah, peace out. <laughs>